We're going to come to our Bible reading today, which is taken from 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 4. There's lots of ones in there, so I'll try it again. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I can tell how tired I am, depending how many times I have to type that into Bible Gateway, actually to get all the ones and the colons and stuff, and the dashes all in the right place for it not to give me a message like, there isn't a 1 Peter. To God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Today is the first of our mini summer series on biblical words and themes. And as you've probably guessed by now, today we're looking at hope. Now, I wonder what you're hoping for this morning. A warm summer? Last year's summer? Um, Or maybe more of the weather like this after struggling through 38 degrees heat last week. Do you hope for a new job? Good health? One of my former colleagues is eagerly anticipating, hoping for, waiting for the arrival of his first grandson. We can hope for many things. As our Bible project video laid open for us, the biblical meaning of hope is far wider and deeper and richer than what it is in contemporary English usage. The words Yakal and Kavar draw a picture of the meaning of hope, waiting with expectation and anticipation, waiting based on the secure foundation of the promises of God. And we can see this in the Old Testament scriptures, can't we? For I have, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hope in the New Testament through the word El Peace communicates something that goes beyond wishful thinking into an explicit hope in God's finished work and salvation. It acknowledges and rests on God's past faithfulness and recognises all his promises are true. It latches on to the certainty of the promise of a future that God has made. Hope is deeply embedded in the gospel message. Jesus, Lord and Saviour, inaugurating, creating God's new kingdom and worldwide mission. As I was preparing this, as you do, kind of um, quite often I have a, on YouTube a couple of liked um, music videos and I was just put one of them on in the background just to have some background noise. And I was just conscious as I got to this point of writing that in Christ alone suddenly appeared 
on the, on the song list, and that took a little while for my brain, because I'm a bit slow, to catch up with what was going on. But it sums up, doesn't it, the hope we have in Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And again, we see in New Testament scripture that hope predominates. There is one body, one spirit, one hope to which we are called, the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. As Basil Hume notes, ours is a confident hope. Sorry, I went into Boris Johnson mood there. A resurrection hope. And it's a resurrection hope because of God's ultimate triumph. Now, as we dig a little bit deeper, it's very clear that part of the meaning of hope is linked to the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God when Jesus will return to reign. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down, we sing, and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. The book of Revelation describes to us what the impact of the kingdom of God will be. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Alistair McGrath, who's a theologian, said this. The New Testament is saturated with the belief that something new has happened in the history of humanity in and through the life and death of Jesus Christ and above all, his resurrection from the dead. This hope predominates even in the face of death. I thought it was interesting, wasn't it, as we shared with David on his last Sunday last week, that hope that predominates it in death came through the life and history of his pastor in this church from the beginning through other people who've passed away in the time that he's been with us. But one thing he did repeatedly, systematically, all the while, was proclaim a hope predominated even in the face of death but we can dig even deeper and as we do we can find that the biblical hope can be more than just hoping for the kingdom of God coming at the end of time it is as Peter suggests a living hope a present hope Tom Wright the former Bishop of Durham in his book surprised by hope uses the most wonderful phrase God's future has with the resurrection burst into the present. Karl Barth put it another way. The resurrection of Jesus was like a boulder crashing into the pool of history. Isn't that amazing? 
the things we hear about in the Bible, the things we read about in the Bible, the things we sing about in our worship songs, suddenly become present in our midst. For us, the resurrection is like that impact of a boulder in our own personal history, as well as it being of a boulder in the history of the universe and everybody else. The hope we have, which is a future expectation, suddenly becomes a present reality. Now, in any study of hope in the Bible, you'll quickly come across one event, the resurrection and one theme, the kingdom of God. The resurrection is the ultimate life-changing event in history. It brings into being the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God over 70 times in the Synoptic Gospels. And to Jesus, the kingdom of God was not something that was to wait for till we go to heaven. In Mark 1, chapter 5, he says, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And in Luke's gospel, when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So the kingdom of God is not solely a future expectation, but a present reality. The kingdom of God, the kingly reign of Jesus, is brought into being at the resurrection. It's something we don't have to wait for to experience until we go to heaven. We can experience it in part now. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We can live under the kingly rule of Jesus now and experience both the blessing and power of God in our lives. So we wait in hope for the fulfillment of God's kingdom when Christ returns, but we also live in hope in the present, living lives full of the Holy Spirit, lives that live out the living hope that comes from within and from within our life in God. Now, the life of a preacher, those of you who preach, as you know, can be an interesting one, especially as halfway through your preparation, you find yourself being deeply convicted by God about the very thing that you're writing about. And this happened to me in this sermon. As you may know, I can find the button. The kingdom of God can be better translated in many times as the kingly rule of Jesus. Now, this was a bit of a revelation to me. It's quite a deliberate translation. It takes something beyond a geographical concept to the fact that Jesus is king over the whole of our lives. What was more of a revelation was when I felt the spirit whisper in my ear, David, is Jesus ruling over all of your life? Does the kingly rule of Jesus encompass all that you do? It was a valid question for me. I had to put my sermon away and go have a little walk around for a bit. Something I'm now responding to. But it's also a question I would suggest for all of us. Living in the kingdom of God, living under his kingly rule, means doing it now, in the present, not just waiting for it to happen in the future. Because we have within our lives this wonderful living hope that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we become, on confession of our sins, part of the kingdom of God. We sit under the kingly rule of the Lord Jesus now we have lots of ways we can describe this 
Christians are very good at finding pictures to describe things. We're new creations. We've passed from darkness to light. We're sojourners in a foreign land. We're in the world, but not of the world. But how much do we really allow this present living hope to influence how we live our lives? Do we allow Jesus to reign over all of our lives? Or are we good at partitioning them? Allowing God close where we feel comfortable and holding him at a distance in other areas. I found this book by Adrian Plass, War of the Worlds. God is challenging me to live all my life under his kingship. Is he challenging you to renew your faith? Is he challenging you to renew your relationship with him? To renew your hope in him? To live all your life under his kingly rule? What difference do you think it would make if that happened in your life? What difference do you think it would make in this church if you did? Where would it lead you? What blessings would be shared as a result? So as we move towards communion, two quick thoughts on how living hope and the living hope to which we've been called can impact on our lives, both as a church and as an individual. Now here I've borrowed some of the language of Tom Wright. Friends, I believe that today and in the coming weeks and months, God is calling us to live out the hope he has placed within us here by being a mission-shaped church and by living a mission-shaped life. Tom Wright says this, what impact does the hope Jesus Christ has given us have on our communal life? Oh, sorry, I'll go up a bit. A mission-shaped church must have its mission shaped by its hope. That the genuine Christian hope rooted in Jesus' resurrection is the hope for God's renewal of all things, for his overcoming of corruption, death, and decay, for his filling of the whole cosmos with the love, grace, power, and glory of God. So what impact does that have on our church? What impact does it have on our communal life, on the way we live together? How can we be a hope-filled church, a mission-shaped church? I would suggest that the same hope that prompts us to seek personal renewal needs to flow out to our corporate lives. That as a church, we need to reaffirm our commitment to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, right now. That lives can be changed in the name of Jesus. That situations can be transformed in the name of Jesus. That people can be healed, restored, renewed and refilled in this place because of Jesus. God's future bursting into the present here at Bretton Baptist Church. All of our activity, open brackets, caveat, if I forget anyone, I'm really sorry, close brackets. Sunday school, children's work, youth work, youth club, vulnerable adults work, Breton Fellowship, Community Cafe, toddlers, pastoral care, Tysdale drop-in, mums on Monday, men's group, Arise Women, the Community Fair Bowls Club, and our Sunday services are all expressions of the living hope we proclaim in Jesus. All are expressions of the kingdom of God in action. God's future bursting into the present here in Breton. Expressions of love born out of the hope we have, born out of the resurrection and lives transformed. Through these activities, friends, 
God is meeting people and changing people's lives. The outworking of a mission-shaped church is all about filling Breton with God's love and God's grace and God's power and God's glory. In conclusion, I'm just going to go back to that gentle whisper of the Spirit. The call to live my life, the call to live our lives under the Lordship of Christ. A life lived under the kingly reign of Jesus will be a life full of God's love and grace, his power and his glory. A mission-shaped life. What do you hope for? My hope is that God will work in me so my life is, is actually full of God's love, his grace, his power, and his glory. That the outworking of that will be the growth of his kingdom. Is that your hope also? Mission-shaped lives, full of hope, lead to a mission-shaped church, changing lives through the power of the gospel. They're not passive lives, they're active lives, full of vibrancy and service. This is the first Sunday of our interregnum. Do you know, to me, that doesn't really matter, because God is at work in this place. He's at work in my life, and he's at work in your life. He calls us onward into a deeper relationship with him and the living hope we share, to live a mission-shaped life and together to be a mission-shaped church, actively serving this community in the name of Christ. Friends, this is not a time to sit down as we wait for a new minister, but a time to rise up, to heed God's call to be renewed both individually and corporately, a time to heed God's call for his church. The kingdom of God is here. Let us live in the hope that Christ called us to. In Jesus' name.